0: We are going to look at all of chapter 21 today. And so um, I just want to, to, to remind you that it says in our bulletin uh, different, but we're going to look at the whole section today. Um, as we do get started, I, I, th- I thought about, actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the fact that sometimes, like, I'll think my mind's playing tricks on me. And for some reason or another, you know, I, I, maybe I heard something or thought I saw something. Uh, The other night I was actually outside uh, sitting and working on my sermon and I saw, a—I think it was a raccoon like coming up towards me. And of course I was like, you know, like it it shocks you a little bit. You're like, I don't know if I'm really ready to meet him head on. But anyway, uh, but I wasn't 100% sure because I didn't have a spotlight. So I ran inside, tried to do it quietly and ran back out and tried to find it, you know, and, you know, to no avail. But anyway, whether or not it was, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, the also, like a couple of weeks ago, I'd put Ben and Samuel in the bathtub, and Will was going to get in there, and so they were all going to be in the bathtub. And as Will was about to step in the bathtub, I heard a voice, and he did too. And he looked at me and was like, was that mom? I was like maybe but she was out and she wasn't supposed to be home yet you know and so i like walk around and look the garage door light wasn't on it wasn't open or closed. there was no car in there so i ran back in locked the door and waited till anna got home because i was kind of (laughs) scared but like later you know and then when she did get home she was like hey everybody and i was like anna and i heard her voice and looked out and was like okay we can come out now no It it wasn't that bad. But I I do think about those things. And later, well, i got to tell you one more thing. I did find out what that was. It was a little toy that talks like whenever it wants to. Which there's something strange about that. Will and I both agree. So it went in the trash. Um, (laughs) Eyewitness testimony is extremely important. These guys are going to see multiple people are going to see the risen Christ and not just see him with their eyes. They're going to hear his voice. They are going to, at least we know Thomas, is going to touch him. There's... And that this doesn't happen like in separate instances, but rather together, corporately, and today for the third time. They're going... They're going to see that. And and it's not just that. There are going to be multiple other witnesses. And as they witness of that, we're going to see this explosion of, like, proclaiming what they had seen and heard. And it's going to be written down. It's going to last for thousands of years. And you and I are, like, recipients of that witness. There's a lot of things about that that remind us that this is not like a ghost story. And this isn't like a talking toy. This is a real thing that is on display that many of them see. So I think today we're going to look at the whole section and say there are four amazing truths in this text that should give us confidence with regard to the risen Christ, the son of God, so that we'll share that message throughout the world. First one I would see is his revelation, second his provision, third his restoration, and fourth his commission. So as we think about this risen Christ has been verified over and over again, we're coming to this place, where we're seeing that, and it should build in us this confidence to go and spread that message, which is what people have been doing for thousands of years. And we hopefully will see that very clearly this morning. Now, the first section, verses 1 through 14, are about his revelation and provision. Verse 1 says, after this, Jesus revealed himself. This is a common theme in John. And what you see there in John is he manifests himself. That is, and we've said this often, it's like he is unveiling and revealing God to us. He is one of the ways that, that I've mentioned that I think Dia Carson was the one that said it this way. He narrates God before us. To see him is to see God. And so he does this and we see these signs that are revealing, unveiling those things. And we see that throughout his life. And now he dies and is resurrected and we see it in his resurrection. He He is appearing. it's a revelatory act he's unveiling he's demonstrating that now this third instance is found on the sea of tiberias or you could also say the sea of galilee which is probably much more common for you to hear it in that way this is the place where the disciples made their living where uh he called them uh it, it is one of those things where we we've we read about it in the other gospels you know you'll see this great sign of demonstration like him calming the sea and so there's a lot of things that that have gone on there it's the headquarters of Jesus ministry because he 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 does a lot of that work there and not far from there is Nazareth and so he he gathers with these and I think it's just important he's going to gather with them together uh and and they're going to kind of this is going to be some of his final times with them and so you'll notice in verse two um simon peter thomas nathaniel of cana and galilee the sons of zebedee and two others of his disciples were together so they're, they're there and they are together and they these seven some people say that's kind of like the seven churches in revelation where it's kind of speaking of the completion the wholeness in a way but these seven are there in one one group the sons of zebedee we've said this but john doesn't always tell us who he is uh he'll say he's the disciple whom jesus loved here he is one of the sons of zebedee and he's the one who wrote this gospel now these guys have been back home they were in the southern region they're in around jerusalem and judea they've gone north and they've gone back Home And so they are there now. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. Fishing, And they said, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat. But uh, that night they caught nothing. Now, some people look at this and go, are these guys like just going back to their old life? Are, are they just returning to that? Is this a sign that they've kind of walked away from Jesus and what he's called them to do? Well, Mark fourteen twenty eight says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Uh, they knew that, right? Uh, in Mark sixteen seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So there is this aspect where you say, no, I don't think they're leaving. I just think in this time period, as they're waiting for his return, they are actively doing what they need to do to survive. I mean, uh, what most people did was they lived off their daily work literally they would make their money and go buy what they needed well these were fishermen and they were not just like fishermen for fun but they were fishermen for a living and they had uh there were families involved and people that needed to be provided for and so they go back out as they are awaiting further instructions as uh, the way i would see that um and so, you know, I, I think that's different, again, than the way we would maybe think about fishing. Uh, and I, I was going to mention to you, like two Friday nights ago, uh, Jonathan and one of our friends went out catfishing. And um, I was thinking about going, but then kind of wimped out. And, and they ended up staying, and they caught a number of fish, and they kind of showed themselves to be hardcore and me being soft. You know, is kind of the way it's been presented to me over and over and um, it, it almost reminds me of that movie A River Runs Through It, where he says, "Norm, the East has made you soft." It's kind of like Jared' preachings made you soft, you know. But they were out at night, and why are they out at night? Uh, well, I mean, one of the things is if you uh, went catfishing or whatever, a lot of people run their lines at night or whatever because it is—I I, don't—they they seem to think it's a better time to fish. And some people would say, you know. That's the way it was in Galilee. Most of those guys that fished for a living, they would do this at night. Um, But I think there might be even something different here that the evangelist might be teaching us. And that is like one of his favorite symbols is moving someone from darkness to light. And this whole thing is going to be set up in such a way where he may want us to reflect on that. Uh, of coming out into the light as he is revealing himself as uh, the son of God he's going to demonstrate that and bring them into the light enlighten them uh, in such a way now uh, we know that they caught nothing that night verse 4 says just as the day was breaking Jesus stood on the shore the disciples did not know it was Jesus he's about a hundred yards away so is it they can't, it's too dark and it's a hundred yards and they can't really see very clearly. Or is it that they are just in some way unable to see him from the standpoint of like, again, the revelation, he hasn't re- displayed it to them in some way. I'm not sure exactly how to read that, but I think it's important that you see what happens. He said to them, casting that on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Uh, in Luke 5, there was another instance like that where they are not able to they're actually like Peter I think has to call over his other partners, James and John and, and, and it was so heavy they, they couldn't pull it in and were almost like they, as they were putting fish in, their boat was like their boats were starting to sink. But when John does this, when they drop that net over and they start pulling forward and they're going like there are so many fish. John, who was in an earlier chapter perceptive, even at the tomb, where it says he believed? I think John's like perception here is, is is a unique thing that he demonstrates. He says to Peter, "It is the Lord." Probably much more exciting than that. It's the Lord, you know, like he he's like kind of seeing that and grasping that. It, it's something of enthusiasm. Now, um, what's interesting to me, and I just kind of like to for us to think about that, is. The personalities, the distinction of personality—you kind of see that on display. John um, demonstrates something unique here, I think, and and really, there's something about him. I think there is a perception that you kind of get that he he can he's sensitive to this to the like spirits leading in a way, or or just he, he's he's able to to see things because he stops and considers. Peter, on the other hand, is like throwing himself into the sea, you know, and we see him doing things like that. It says that like, he puts on his outer garment, he, you know, dives in, he's, it's, it's just, um, I, for me, it's a reminder of these different and unique people that God really even brings together and, and uses them. And, and he does that within a body and, and within a, a, a really in, in a marriage, he does that within a family, all different kinds of things. But within the church body, you see that on display. Uh, what's interesting is Peter like leaves all the work behind you know he's like taken off kind of reminds you of a Mary and Martha kind of instance and he goes and he, he travels he's moving forward uh, to Jesus the rest of the disciples are dragging uh, this net full of fish in uh, when they when they get there they see that Jesus has provided them some breakfast I guess you would say just a preparation there's a charcoal fire and there's fish and and bread there's something for them to eat they've been working all night something to in a way you could say snack on as they're going to prepare even maybe in a greater way for a a greater feast to have with him and so he has provided for them not only like in that moment but then in in a much greater way 156 fish they find out and so it is one of those uh, moments where you're 153 sorry where you're going to see Uh, his provision for them so not only is he unveiling again he's saying I am the Christ the son of the living God I am risen it's being verified by multiple witnesses at multiple times he's he's showing them who he is but he's also reminding them remember how I prepared uh, uh, for you or provided for you All along the way, you remember that? He's kind of like reiterating that to them, I think. That I'm going to take care of you. I'm providing for you. Uh, It's a a very important picture. Uh, One author says it this way. In the days of the flesh, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now, as their risen Lord, he serves them still. I just think... We need to see that and understand it and hold fast to that. He meets their tiredness after a night of toil with a hot breakfast. They can begin to eat what he has cooked while some of them uh, are, are going to prepare even further for this meal. But it's just, it's just a reminder for us, I think, that he not only is, is a risen Christ... Uh, not only has he done all that he said he was going to do, but he, he cares for them. He's watching over them just as he had done before. And then um, you see 12 through 14, um, uh, it says, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Uh, this is kind of an interesting, I don't, I don't know, question like, and it comes in your mind like, well, what is he What are we talking about here? Why why are they not asking him? Uh, One writer says, Perhaps it's the lack of imaginative historical reconstruction on our part. Meaning like, it's hard for us to put ourselves in their place. It's hard for us to say, Because we, and he goes on to say, Like in our creeds and in our confessions, We are always talking about the resurrection, Like with no pause to consider that that's shocking that's a shocking thing and so for them certainly it was a very shocking moment for them uh it, it may have been for that reason it's hard for us to understand like even though they knew it was the lord there was still like this in their hearts maybe something of like what is going on here what what, what are we dealing with here um it, they, they, but they're, they're, it's helping them in a very powerful way, see. And so I think it's just for us, and, and again, I, I don't know exactly how to put all that together, except for the fact that they, they were convinced. Nobody was in doubt that it was the Lord, but they almost were hesitant to even say anything further because it was, it was clearly demonstrated before them. Now, we started out with his revelation and provision, and then you move to his restoration and mission. We move from the disciples together to two individual disciples, first beginning with Peter. Peter um, is going to be, like, very clearly Jesus is going to speak to him multiple times. And we'll talk about why, but you'll see this. Let's look at that together in verse 15 through 17. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him this the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So we see this, this this, kind of emphasis here where Jesus is doing something. He's pushing uh, Peter forward into really considering uh, his relationship to him. Now, I, I think it's just important to note as you're looking at that, is first, Peter's denial did not disqualify him from future service. Just as he has denied him three times... Now he is bringing him to this affirmation three times. He is going to ask him a question. It's Jesus' specific interaction, I think, really truly reveals this. Now some of you might want to throw him away. You know that? Some of you might enjoy watching him be thrown under the bus. You don't believe that? I've seen that, you know? Some people might enjoy that. Like you say, he has this moment of weakness when he is faced with the fact that his this one he has been following is is like before the roman leadership and is about to be crucified and in this moment like he is struggling he said lord i'll never leave you and then he's like denying him and you think is he does he have a future some of you would say no i mean that, that that may be a reality how could he how could he, who is so like weak-willed that he would not stand up in this moment and stand with Christ? He can't, surely he can't be used to the Lord. I mean, was he, was he even a Christian after that denial? I mean, surely not. Really? Is that a reality? Or is he truly one of Jesus' sheep that he loves and cares for? That he knew would do that. I think he was truly one of his sheep because not one of his sheep is lost. That's what he's told us in John. Not one of them will be lost. Why? Because he just went to the cross and died for Peter's denials, he dealt with them at the cross. Those denials are not something that he's like, oh, no, I've got to start over. Oh, Peter, he just messed it up. And now I've got to start over and find me someone that will never mess up again. It's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. Jesus is pursuing Peter. When you think about the prodigal son story, some of you may really identify with the older brother who stands outside of this this time of rejoicing when the prodigal comes home. God is running after the prodigal. He is meeting him. The older brother, this arrogant religious person is standing outside of the joy of this. And so in this moment, I think if you're rightly understanding this text, you would say, I need to learn to rejoice in watching the Lord actively pursue his people and grip them and draw them in. I really think those three denials are really tied to these three affirmations here when jesus says do you love me peter says eventually says you know lord you know everything of course you know i love you did jesus already know that why would he ask him was it for jesus to understand jesus all of a sudden like couldn't get this the eternal son of God no it wasn't for Peter's benefit I mean it wasn't for Jesus' benefit it was for Peter's benefit and it was not only for Peter's benefit it was for your benefit so you would see that that you would grasp that Jesus is not confused about those who are his he's called them by name and they have come to him do they mess it up do they, do they do wrong things? Yes. But Jesus actively, continually, habitually like pursues them. He loves them so much that he goes after them. And he will not lose Peter. He's not losing Peter. He's already gripped him, right? In his grace. That's what John 10 says. He's held on to him. What, what, what happens when Peter's grip was so weak? What do you do with Peter when his grip is so weak? I guess Jesus just tightens his hand up and draws him a little bit closer. Peter is commissioned then to proclaim this message. Y'all know Wallace Edgar? Anybody know Wallace Edgar? He's like the craziest preacher I know. No, he, he preached like at 25 years or something at Trinity. I love that guy. But he was. I was talking to him one day, and he, not too long ago, and he said, um, "He says, now, son, he didn't say you were to love the sheep. You just feed them." Jesus says, "Love me." <laughs> he said, "Sometimes you're not going to love them. You should, you got. He calls him to love him and to feed the sheep. You don't. You know." I was like, "Thanks, Wallace. You know, I appreciate it." But anyway, we're going to see Peter feed these sheep, and he's going to do so. And I think this is just important to understand. You're going to see him on the day of Pentecost. You're going to see him doing this preaching, this ministry of preaching, and as an apostle going out with this message. And one of the things that kind of come to my mind as I was thinking about that, like with with, with This understanding is that the people he is to preach to are not necessarily all believers at that moment. So when he says preach to the sheep or go and feed my sheep, it's not just, I think, just to believers, but to non-believers. He is calling him to go out with the message. Jesus' sheep will come to the message Because as the Spirit and the Word show up, they respond. They hear the voice. Peter doesn't necessarily even know who all the sheep are. He just knows that sheep hear the voice of the Master. And so as he proclaims the message of the Master, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, like by the power of the Spirit, through the Word, people are going to be drawn. Very important, I think, to recognize that. Because I don't think it's just within, but it's also outside. It's all those places that Jesus... Uh, sends his people to go and proclaim the message. So I would say even today in this room, there may be people who are not truly sheep at this point in the sense that they've not come to saving faith. And so they haven't heard the voice, but the Lord may do that in you today. I may mean, for the first time, hear his voice and respond and come to him and turn to him. Another thing I just say is in Second uh, Timothy 4, 1 through 5, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, judged, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, one of the things that I think just, again, thinking in terms of this, There would be people that would be, I mean, many people uh, that would follow in the footsteps of the apostles. Uh, Certainly some like doing what I'm doing today, preaching to you. And then uh, certainly uh, others of us will maybe never stand in a pulpit, but go throughout this country and throughout this city. And you're going to be sharing the message of the gospel. Now... I thought about today, uh, one thing is, you know, and I don't know what all went into Peter's mind, not just in that moment, but even down the road, you know. But you kind of ask the question of like, do you think Peter would ever get tired of preparing meals? That's what came to my mind. Actually, this morning. You might say, son, that's preacher stuff. You know, that's not really. I don't think so. But I do think about in our home. The preparation of meals is one of the most, like, difficult things sometimes. Because you know what happens? If you have a kid, for instance, that he doesn't really... Um, he's particular about his food. He does never ever like the meal. He looks at that meal and is like, I don't, I don't like it. That's what one of my family members will say. I don't, I don't like that. Um, some... Times, if you have someone or you ever been around a child who's been able to eat like M and M's for breakfast, right? When you put before them good food, it is horrifying. Actually, there's a guy that's not here this morning, um, so I can talk about bad about him. But Rick Ashley has started eating different, and his he said, "I've lost all joy in eating." Oh, he is here. There we go. Sorry, Rick. When I thought you weren't here, I was like, no. But uh, he's going to beat me down later. But here's the thing. I, I mean, like, I understand what he's saying. Because our bodies get used, our taste buds are oriented towards certain things. And it's like, man, a really good meal sometimes doesn't necessarily, uh, at, at least initially, doesn't taste that good to us. Um, When I think about, spiritually speaking, preparing meals, it is very closely associated for me this week thinking about just all the times that in our house meals are prepared and all the difficulty that goes in. And I just think for us, we need to remember, like, we are meal preparers. I mean, not only am I, I have a very specific kind of role here, but, but even you, like, you're prepared. I, in our family, worship time... Do you think I always want to be like, okay, my kids are about to terrorize me, so I want to open the Bible and see if I can help them, like, sit down long enough for me to read, pray, and sing with them, right? Some nights I'm just like, everybody go to bed and nobody talk, you know? I don't want to prepare a spiritual meal for my family, right? But, but it, it, at the time, it's like God has commissioned us to be doing that, and I just think we have to keep that in our hearts and in our minds. We have to keep going here. Um, Jesus speaks of this task that Peter's called to, to feed the sheep, and the costly nature of it. For Peter, it's going to cost his life. Right? Preparing meals and delivering them will cost him his life. Jesus speaks, I guess you could say, of Peter's carefree life when he was young. But no longer will he live that carefree life. He is calling him or has called him and continues to to discipleship. And bearing the cross for him is not just metaphorical, but literal. We are all called to bear the cross. I'm not not saying that you will literally be crucified. But we are all called to do that. And I think it is just a reminder to us all the time is that that is not a task. That is not a task for someone who doesn't pursue a, a sober life. I'm not talking about just drinking. I'm talking about much deeper sobriety that takes a lot of intentional focus you 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 have to really discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness you have to discipline yourself for the purposes that god has led us or, or has brought us to he has called us to do work for him to serve him and that takes work it takes discipline it takes the Spirit's power, really, to do something of this magnitude. Peter, like many of us, might say, mm, mm, mm. turn around and look back and go, what about that cat? Like He seems like, you're not saying stuff like he's going to literally die. And sometimes you do that, like you look at people's life, whether they're Christians or, or whatever, and you think, Man, they have, their life is a breeze. I mean, it is like things just seem to go well for them. Peter sees him and said, what about this man? Speaking of John, this is interesting. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I want to go back because I missed it. But I just want you to see verse 19. He says, follow me. And you remember when he called his disciples, he said, follow me. Right? He just said, follow me. They left their nets and followed him. He talks about the cost of discipleship and following him. And here he says, look, Peter. You follow me. I have work for you to do. It's going to cost you your life. You follow me. You are going to literally lay down your life. You follow me. But what about everybody else? That's really not, it doesn't matter. You follow me. Some people, upon hearing kind of this spread, thought that Jesus was saying about John that he would live until Christ's return. Jesus said, if it is my will, he will remain until I come. But he doesn't say that. And John wants to reiterate that. And he wants to make that clear. But this disciple did potentially, it appears, From what we understand, we don't know everything about all that took place, but he did live a pretty extended period of time. Uh, He wrote the Revelation. He did not have an easy life either, though, just as a side note. He was exiled. Um, But verse 24 and 25 says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John shows us this enormously grand view of Jesus. What a great privilege he had. And he shows us that even in his gospel writing that he almost he, he had to like take all of this stuff that had come before him and put it into something, that would be at least short enough for you to be able to read and understand, and that would proclaim to you the message that he was trying to reveal, which is there's life in the name of Christ. Now, I want you to see that those four amazing truths should give you confidence to share about the risen Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. Four things, his revelation, his provision, his restoration, and his commission. And I would just want you to think about that this morning. Jesus demonstrated himself multiple times to multiple witnesses, even witnesses who were together. He not only demonstrated who he was, he revealed that he cared for them. He provides for them. He is going to look after them. Third, Jesus is going to reveal himself to them, and he is going to show that even in their imperfection, even in their brokenness, in their weakness, in their inability really to stand on their own. Like he is not hes not saying, oh, here are my perfect disciples. It's here are these people redeemed by the grace of God in continual need of his grace. And the fourth thing, it's these weak people that he's revealed this message to and is providing for. These, these weak men that are going to be sent out into the world to spread the message of the gospel throughout that world. They will do so, and it will be caught, if you will, by others who will do so, and it continues to do so. And so I would just say or ask you this morning is, do you think that you're actually being the witness of this message, the steward of this message... In the way that Jesus has called you to. Are you going to steward be a steward of this message in the way that you think he would call you to? That again, that does not mean, and I think we have talked about this many different times, that doesn't mean that you're going to leave your vocation. It may mean that. But, but it does mean that you are to be a witness. This was given so that you would believe and have life in his name and therefore take that to others so that they would believe and have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us believe these things more fully, that we would see uh, your mercy, your goodness, your grace in our life, that we would treasure the truths found here, and that you would take us as... Broken vessels, needy of your grace, not just the day that we came to know and believe in Christ, but every day. We pray that you would take us and use us in a mighty way for your glory and our good and for the good of the nations. In Christ's name, amen.